This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. Like I was thinking in my head, welcome to modern life, mm. and I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. Tis the season of gatherings, dinners with friends, holiday parties at the office, and of course, family get-togethers. It's a time to reconnect, at least in theory. It can also be a time when we realize how disconnected we've become, when many of us yearn for a stronger sense of community than we have, which is why Morgan reached out to us. I'm 28 now, so I've always had a group of people around me, whether it be through my swim team growing up or through college and my master's program. And being just an adult with a normal job has kind of made it difficult for me to figure out how I build my community again. Morgan's a public health researcher who lives in Atlanta with her husband, and they recently moved to a new neighborhood. We didn't move very far. We just moved neighborhoods in Georgia, but it's been hard to find people our age and figure out how to um, create community in this new place. It is amazing how you can move like five blocks and it's a totally different vibe. And do you have much community through your work these days? How's that going? Well, so I also recently moved jobs and Mm. um, my, I no longer have coworkers and I work from home a lot, so I feel like I've also lost that connection to my former coworkers, and we've all gone separate ways, so I don't really have that. As my husband and I were talking about struggles we've been having, we were thinking about the ways that our parents have found community. We grew up going to church with our parents, and they continue going to church now, and that's where a lot of their friends and community are. And Wait, let me just ask if I can interrupt. Mm-hmm. There's going to church and there's going to church. Was it once a month, once a day? <laughs> what are we talking? Twice a week. So Wednesday okay. night, Bible study, I think, and Sunday church. And I think once I got into high school, I didn't love being in a group of people listening to one person tell me how I should behave. I think that's what I didn't... I'm trying not to be offensive, but that's what I didn't resonate with. And I actually went to a couple different churches with some of my friends, to their youth groups, kind of trying to find a community I would agree with. So after a lot of sampling, Morgan decided to step away from organized religion altogether. But she still craved that dependable community. I think I've been trying to kind of fill that gap with a bunch of different things, which is sort of working, but it's also a little bit exhausting and it's hard um, when each of those things falls into a different bucket. So um, I go to yoga once or twice a week, which I think is sort of my like meditation. We have a friend group where we'll sit down and eat dinner and we talk, sometimes we will talk about our feelings of 
life and existence, like those big Mm -hmm. questions, but it's not a common discussion. And I'm in a book club, but our book club is, you know, just a fun once a month talking about a fiction book. Um, And we joined a community organization. So we found people who have similar political ideologies to us and like want to help our community in the same way. Um, And I think each of those is sort of fulfilling. It's just it doesn't give you everything that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit like siloed. Right. Which I think makes it hard to see how all of those pieces fit together. Which is why today we invited in someone who is a master at putting all those tiny pieces of community back together again. (laughs) When I was listening to you, I was sort of thinking about like that scene in Austin Powers when he makes like the 32 point turn trying to get into like the parallel parking spot. <laughs> like, I'm like, trying this and then I'm going to try this and then I'm going to try this to the script and then I'm going to try You know, I was like, okay, how are we going to get into this spot? Priya Parker is the author of the book, The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. I have to say, I can really deeply relate to you. I, like you, grew up partly in the church. My parents are divorced and they had joint custody. So Every two weeks when I was with my evangelical Christian family, I was at church two or three times a week. And the old forms for you in this moment aren't working. When we aren't part of an inherited village, do we join multiple villages? Do we start a village? And when our institutions are no longer serving us, do we get into the work of institution building? Or is that exhausting? I think that many, many, many people are going through some version of these questions. And I think it's really awesome that you're pausing and actually trying to sort this through. Yeah, I want to just echo that because I think, um, you know, there's always like a fourth person in the room for these conversations, which is the, you know, whatever, 100,000 people who will listen to this show. And I'm just 100% convinced that all of them feel this on some level, um, or 99% of them. And it may not be church, right? right? It may be the mental model of how their parents found community, right? Whatever that is. My, my stepmother grew up in Southern Florida and the way that her mother's generation in the 50s spent time were the coffee clutches, mm-hmm. meaning they would once a week gather when all the kids were finally at school and have coffee and sometimes put money into a shared pot and then one person gets to take it home. And so even if it's not a Christian context, so much of where we used to get community from has been upended. And it's a time of invention, and it's also a time of of loneliness. That's the challenge right there. There's a great amount of freedom, right, that comes from stepping out of the confines and obligations of organized community and religion. But the flip side of that freedom is a kind of emptiness. We can't create an entire rich community overnight, but we can make the times we spend together more meaningful. So today on the show, we're going to teach Morgan how to host her own gatherings, the kind that can start to fill that void. So whether you're planning a Christmas dinner, a bar mitzvah, or a tailgate, Priya has really useful advice we can all use today. So take off your coat and stay a while. The party's just getting started. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. 
Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. When Priya Parker and her husband moved to New York City more than a decade ago, they were so excited to explore all of its neighborhoods. But they quickly noticed that most New Yorkers actually spend all their time in the same two or three places. And that's where you live and where you work. And like maybe if you're in an interborough relationship, like <laughs> where your partner is. They really wanted to avoid that trap. So they came up with this idea to spend one day immersing themselves in one new neighborhood. And I happened to tell a friend about it and she was like, I'm going to come too. Like, <laughs> forget this couple thing. I'm going to come too. And then she brought a friend. And what started as this kind of spontaneous desire to both map our city and like not get stuck into sort of the same patterns every, every Saturday developed into this um, kind of robust ritual of sorts, which is once a month um, on a Saturday, we would gather a group of six to 10 friends. It, would, it grew over time. And you have to come on time, and we'd usually meet at like 9 or 10 a.m., stay the entire time, which ended up being often 10 or 12 hours, be up for anything, and be off your phones. Mm. And basically, one person, we'd rotate hosting. I often did it because I like doing this kind of stuff, but we rotated hosting, and one person ahead of time would choose the day or the theme, map it out, and everyone else would put their phones away and just kind of turn themselves over to whatever whatever emerged that day. And a couple of things happened. First was spending time with adults for 12 hours was fundamentally different than spending four hours together three times. Because basically groups go through kind of like the beginning and then in an arc and then you sort of come back down. And for those first three hours, you chat and talk and everyone would be on their best behavior. And mm -hmm. then maybe you have lunch and then people start getting sleepy and cranky and run out of things to say. And the conversation would shift. And like sometimes we'd nap in parks and then you know, wake back up and then <laughs> go get tea, like just kind of doing all sorts of all sorts of different activities but it was a fundamentally different way of spending time with people. And it wasn't for everybody. And there were, over the course of multiple years, there were like four or five kind of diehards. Like mm -hmm. they went to 80% of them. And then there was a few people who, you know, never came back. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and it took on a life of its own, as I think so many gatherings or repeated gatherings do. And I often say the biggest mistake we make when we gather is we assume that the purpose is obvious mm. to everyone and shared. Oh, I, I, I know what a birthday party is. I know what happens at those things. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and our gatherings tend to kind of be vague and diluted. Mm -hmm. We end up kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and everyone ends up in the living room drinking beers, right? There's sort of like our gathering, it's sort of like Seinfeld, it's like a show about nothing. <laughs> it's like, we have like kind of gatherings about nothing. That's our first insight. So before even planning a gathering, think about this. What is the specific need I'm trying to meet here? And don't assume that it's obvious or even shared. It should actually be disputable. In other words, not for everyone. Meaningful gatherings happen for a reason, and that purpose gives them richness and personality. But what is the meaning for you, you might be thinking? The answer depends on what's happening in your world right now, including what is lacking, what is hard. Maybe lean into that rather than pretending everything's perfect. When The Art of Gathering came out in 2018, a journalist called me up and she said, uh, I'm on assignment. Can you Art of gathering my dinner party? And I said, you know, well, what, you know, what do you think that means? And she was like, I, I don't know. Like, and I, you know, I think she thought I was going to say, like, could you put the wine glass here or, you know, serve ramps? Ramps are in season. <laughs> and... And instead I pause and I ask, and this is the question I would ask you as well, Morgan, is what is a specific need that by bringing together a group of people, you might be able to address? And she paused and she thought, and she like, she kind of hesitated and she said, I don't know if this counts, but I'm a journalist and I'm also a worn out mom. And the other day I was at a friend's house and she cut me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich into triangles and fed me baby carrot sticks and I burst into tears. <laughs> and I said, why did you burst into tears? And she said, because I realized it's been a while since I was the one being taken care of. Mm. And she paused and she said, what if I threw a dinner party for my other worn out moms? Mm. And I said, great, give it a name. And she called it the worn out mom's hootenanny. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, give it a rule. And she said, if you talk about your children, you have to take a tequila shot. <laughs> and you could kind of see like the, like the blood coming back in her face, like the life coming back into her body. It, was, it shifted from obligation to desire. Think about the last gathering you went to. Maybe it was Thanksgiving or a birthday party. Whatever the case, what was the purpose beyond the obvious? Was it more about obligation or desire? Could you tell what need it was meant to serve? I don't know about you, but when I did this, I was struck by how many gatherings don't have a clear, deeper purpose. If you want to do something more than check a box, it starts with coming up with a gathering that could answer a need, if only for a few hours. And remember, if it's for everyone, it's kind of for no one. So she's set us up here with a really good question, which is, what is a specific disputable need that a gathering of your friends could help you fulfill? Yeah, I was thinking about just having a common community 
we've tried to do trivia nights and for a while we did that for a couple weeks but dropped off for whatever reason and then we tried to get back into it and it just I think the one thing that we all really liked was having that set time in which we knew we would see our friends every week and sometimes meet new people when new people came but the need is just having a reliable supportive community that you know you'll see every week or so that's a good one it's not disputable though right i mean is there anybody who would not i mean i'm sure there's someone (laughs) but like i'm just wondering priya can you say a little bit about why disputable is important the disputable part is is the line drawing which is like at the deepest level who is this for and so the disputable part of the, you know, of the hootenanny <laughs> was, you know, this is specifically for mothers. This is specifically for worn out mothers. Perhaps they're working. I mean, she didn't say all, she didn't spell all that out, but it was a specific group. It's like, do you do something broader, not under false pretenses, but it's kind of like, oh, it's trivia. And then underneath you like sneak the community in, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> or it's like book club. And then underneath <laughs> you hope you get some philosophy out of it. Or do you kind of, you know, promise accurate advertising and be more explicit about what it is that you want. Here's our next insight. Don't be coy about your purpose. Actually name it out loud in the invite. This is no time for subtlety. One of the people I interviewed for the Art of Gathering is this um, guy, entrepreneur, community builder named Scott Heiferman. Scott started Meetup years ago. He was a New Yorker, and he noticed that after 9-11, it was the first time he ever witnessed his neighbors talking to each other. And he started Meetup, and it's a mm-hmm. it's a platform. He no longer runs it, that anyone can, and, and almost any city can kind of join these different groups. And one of the things that he found was that when they coached the organizers to have more specific names, attendance went up and was more consistent. So like hikers, versus LGBTQ hikers, versus LGBTQ hikers with dogs, <laughs> right? It was, it was actually when it wasn't for everybody, it actually felt like it was for somebody's. And he would be the first person to say, you can get too narrow, right? You can end up and you're like, the host is the only person there. And so it's, it's not a rule that sort of lasts for, you know, to its extreme. <laughs> but I wonder, for example, I'm just throwing this out there, if it was like, Trivia for philosophy nerds or trivia for mm. former churchgoers, right? Like mm. finding us, it's, it's almost like the second link that allows, and then you see who comes and maybe you slightly shift. Like if you keep this idea of trivia and you just add like, it's almost like the idea of in language, like adding an adjective actually narrows the, you know, makes more specific the phrase you know, I was recently, I was starting to read Octavia Butler, Butler's work, and she had the most beautiful introduction to describe herself. And I'd never seen it before. She described herself as many words, and I'm forgetting exactly all of them, but something like, you know, feminist, organizer. And then, and then she said, ex-Baptist. And I, <laughs> I burst into tears, in part because she hadn't disappeared her former identity she understood that actually having this identity with her and then the leave-taking made her a very specific way. It was part of her. And so I, I say all of this because I, in what I hear you searching for, 
it is more than a casual get together here and there. And it sounds like over time, it's a group of people you can really rely on, not just have fun with, right? That there's some commitment, that there's some mm -hmm. interdependence. And so you might just start exploring or experimenting with having a slightly more specific trivia night and see how it goes. Trivia for ex-churchgoers. And, and also, <laughs> by the way, they maybe get, you said earlier in this call, you know, I don't want to be offensive. As you start actually like following the thread of what you're looking for, it might become controversial. And you know what makes really good gatherings? Relevance. When we come back, we're going to see what Morgan thinks about this whole idea of trivia night for recovering churchgoers. Is that just too cringy, too strange? Or is that the whole point? Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. We're back with Priya Parker, author of The Art of Gathering, and Morgan, who's trying to make her get-togethers a little more meaningful. My suggestion to you, if you're up for it, would be to take one or two activities that you actually enjoy doing. So whether it's trivia or whether it's harmonica playing or like <laughs> something that matches how you actually want to spend your time. And then invite, you know, think about who are the different circles that you're a part of or think about it, whether it's place-based. And invite people to do something for maybe even it's a set period of time, six weeks of such and such and have it be more specific and then, and then see if people are kind of, you know, are up for it. Trivia with a dose of philosophy at the end. Morgan, what are you thinking hearing this? Yeah, I really like that. I think, um, yeah, I think my concern was like uh, trivia for reformed churchgoers sounds like a great uh, way to bring people together who have shared experiences. And I was just thinking, how do I go about finding those people? But I know there are people within our own group of friends who fit into that category and like trivia. And maybe if we do set up a, hey, we're going to do this for a specific amount of time, 
can you commit to that? And then they can bring people in that they know. Um, maybe it would go better than it has in the past when it was sort of just like, a, well, if you guys are free this week, maybe mm. we'll do this. Right, right. I mean, mm-hmm. and there have been a couple themes that have come up, right? And one was church and one was philosophy. Not that you're looking for church, but you're looking for something that brought you some of the things you liked about church, like fellowship, like ability to talk about big ex- existential questions, like service, camaraderie. Um, I wonder if you could almost have this this gathering on Sunday mornings as a specific nod to like <laughs> filling that <laughs> empty place. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I mean, just a couple more distinctions just to think about and experiment with. One is, do you need this community to be place-based or could it be virtual or digital? Yeah, this is where I have a visceral negative reaction to the virtual event. (laughs) But uh, Priya, it sounds like you're, you know, that's not necessarily, (laughs) that's not necessarily fair. Like there is a way to do those. I think, I think there are people who are getting very good at creating like radical, intentional, powerful experiences online. Yeah. And we're finding our ways through, but there are. But but part of what I also hear uh, in you for you, Morgan, is I assume you do want this to be place-based and local. But again, it's sort of like, what, do I get a little bit of this from here? And do I get a little bit of this from here? Like if we no longer have like I'm mixing my metaphors here, but like the apple tree, which is like church, and you now have to go to like multiple community gardens. Mm. How much do you want to get from one place, one community versus where can you kind of continue to pick and choose, but perhaps narrow down a bit? Because I also hear something like some tiredness in you. Yeah. And I think part of the problem too, is that I, I grew up in Atlanta, but I went to school in New York and I was in the Peace Corps and I did study abroad and I have friends who live all over the place, but most of my friends I grew up with don't live in Atlanta anymore. And so I sort of already have the like difficulty of trying to keep community with people who live far away. And I think that's what is like something that I really wanted when we moved into the city is hoping that by being closer to people and things to do, we could build a community, but you know. (laughs) Yep. We really only need three friends to have much higher levels of connectedness and community. Um, and so much of that often is in person. Um, there, the, a few more pieces that maybe you maybe have seen this already, but there was a beautiful series in the Atlantic called The Friendship Files um, by Julie Beck. She was a journalist who interviewed two sets of friends over a number of years, over a hundred sets of friends to ask them about their friendship. Her closing piece is called The Six Forces That Fuel Friendship. So it's accumulation, um, meaning time spent together. Attention, it's like you're actually paying attention to one another. Intention, ritual, which is a monthly hike, a regular dinner party, a book club. Imagination, like how else might we do this? And grace, so many of these different elements of friendships, yes, you can do it at some level virtually, but it's really hard to keep track of a lot of different people. And I think finding like the just enough community, but it may take time in the place that you live. Well, I'm curious. It feels like we have the beginnings of a disputable specific need, which you've you've already identified. And we have a name, which was the next step, right? Um, or at least a working title, which was something like 
trivia for ex-churchgoers. And then... We're recover- you can add some humor, re- <laughs> trivia for recovering churchgoers, or, you know, just some, something that, like, has a wink in it. So you're not taking yourself too seriously, right, but right. make people chuckle. Right, like, it's not an LLC. It's just a <laughs> trivia night. <laughs> Once you've got a catchy name for your event, Priya recommends setting up what she calls pop-up rules. These are rules that just last during the event and tell people what to expect. It's amazing how much people suddenly love rules when they fit with the purpose of the event. Just like the worn out mom's hootenanny when she she shares the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I would kind of share, I mean, maybe you share this podcast, (laughs) I would share your, what you've been doing, like in a short way, in an honest way, in a kind of opening way, which is like, we feel like, you know, use your language, not mine, kind of like a ping pong ball bouncing around and we've just moved and we realized we want to have a little bit more community than either one of us have and grew up in the church and that doesn't feel totally right. And so we're starting a small experiment. It's four weeks. Bring a dish from your childhood mm-hmm. that you loved or bring a dish from your childhood that you hate. Like this is also when you start finding different forms of specificity where you can see if people are buying into it or not. Mm-hmm. Once you have specificity, there's actually incredible creation in it. You can be creative about the trivia questions. You can be creative about what you ask. You can be creative about the structure. And then I would sort of think about who would you who would you invite? And what you're doing is a little bit complex. And so it may be picking up the phone and explaining it to a few people who you feel like would be totally up for this and they co-host mm-hmm. it with you. Where is it hosted? Is it in my living room? Is it in a public park? Is it in a library? How, what place kind of, you know, signals and allows for warmth, but also safety. Um, after you know what your purpose is, that's when the, that's when I think the fun part comes, mm-hmm. which is how does the guest list serve the purpose? How does how we open serve the purpose? How do we create enough structure that helps the group take off without feeling oppressive? And where in all of this is their joy and humor? I love that. I think um, it was just bringing me, making me think of my parents. My mom is a huge host and constantly has people over and I feel like I keep wanting to do that and I'm like but what like it feels weird to be 28 and be like come over for a dinner party which maybe it's not weird at all but um I think I've been struggling with that and I love the idea of reaching out to people and explaining like this is the need that we have and if you guys are interested in joining Mm -hmm. this is what we're thinking about doing for yeah four weeks like keep it short at first and um, I love the idea of a potluck and I know that I've talked to so many people about this problem and of feeling like we have friends, but it's like a lot of work to try to keep in touch and mm. we all have yeah. similar struggles. And I think just maybe being the, the rallier of the troops, right? Yeah. To be able to <laughs> offer that will maybe actually lead to something. All of this reminds me of something that my husband has been doing for 26 years, since before I even met him. He's been hosting an annual Christmas caroling party. And I have to tell you, at first, in my late 20s, I did not love this idea. I'm not really religious, and neither are most of my friends, and even though the party was aggressively secular, the whole thing just felt super earnest. But over time, This party has grown and grown, and now I'm all in. We get close to 100 people every year, and they are totally dedicated. And it's not for everyone. It's definitely a disputable purpose. Some of my friends never come, which is fine. But the ones who do come, 
They know all the rules. They wear red, we hand out songbooks, we eat some food, have some drinks, then we head out to sing around the neighborhood. And the whole time, my husband's telling them which songs to sing next, using an actual bullhorn. Play bells. And they do everything he says without fail. So rules are not always as suffocating as they seem. Someone forwarded me an invitation for a dinner they'd been invited to, and, and the person, the host, had said, there are a few rules, please show up on time. If you plan to come, please come the whole evening. Don't try to party hop, in part because it allows all of us to just be present. And one more rule, which is no small talk. And mm -hmm. then he attached like a Wired article by Dan Ariely about, you know, about how small talk is sort of like the death of meaning. I love that. Um, <laughs> That's great. And, and again, that doesn't have to be what you do, but it just allows people to be like, oh, there's someone steering the ship or like, oh, this is kind of playful or there'll be a phone basket or the phone sack rule. When you come in, you put your phone at the middle of the table and the first person who looks at their phone foots <laughs> the bill. <laughs> you know, the other thing, a couple of just small tips is if you're bringing people together, think about size. So six is good for meaningful conversation, but it it's hard to carry dead weight. Like if one person's kind of checked out, everyone mm -hmm. feels it. 12 to 14 is like great for kind of dinner party frisson, you know, kind of energy. Um, but it's unlikely, it's harder to have one conversation. It'll probably break off into three or four conversations, which can be, you know, great. And like 20 to 30 feels more like, you know, a vibe, a house party, and there's more place to kind of hide, but there's also a lot more diversity and like excitement. Um, so I would think about size. And then the last thing is the bigger the group to think about, I kind of hinted to this earlier, but to us kind of assign what I often call spiritual subhosts. So to invite two or three people ahead of time or when they come in and give them a playful role. So like, can you be, you know, minister of water or minister of wine or, you know, distributor of like thrower away of napkins? I'm making this up. <laughs> it literally doesn't matter. <laughs> Spread the worry of it going well. Mm -hmm. mm, and that, that is practice genius. is actually community building. Yes. You are not doing this for them. You are doing this with them. Yeah. Yes, right. Everybody owns it. And I love this example with the phones in a basket. You could actually, I'm just throwing this out here, Morgan, but you could get an offering basket. <laughs> I was just thinking phones. that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Now, now, now is like the improv part of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> that could be very fun. <laughs> I love the idea of sub hosts and sending out a purpose because I think the other thing that happens so much with my friends is that we don't plan anything in advance. And then it's like Saturday night and we're like, oh, want to come over? Mm -hmm. And then it becomes stressful. And it's the same thing as you show up and there's just sitting around drinking beer and not really talking about anything. So I think really nailing down our explanation for why we want to do this and thinking about people we've talked to who we think would really be interested. And then maybe telling everyone to invite one person or something. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really excited. Yeah. I really like the idea of inviting one person that they that you think, and you say this explicitly, who might be into this. Mm -hmm. It allows for diversity and some kind of excitement. Um, the other thing I would just say is because the topic and because in a way your need has a lot of weight mm -hmm. in it, I mean, inherently, I would have the language of the invitation and even the like whatever the activity is be like full of humor mm -hmm. 
and like lightness. Like you want to counterbalance that. Mm. Um, and not like making fun of things or sort of skepticism, but just sort of like this deep, I mean, I think one of the things out of the pandemic is like we, we are craving just joy and laughter. And so the reason I like the trivia or some other form of game is to sort of, you want to, um, like just like create a levity and joyfulness. Like if you're, if over those two hours, people are laughing their heads off, that is mm-hmm. medicine. Mm. Yeah, and I mm. love, we love game nights. So I think having it be more of a structure and an, have an intention would be something that I think would resonate with me, my husband, and some of our friends too. I wonder before we go, Priya, not everyone is ready or able in the season of life that they're in to do what Morgan is bravely doing, which is to create a gathering very thoughtfully, very intentionally. Um, But most of us are guests at some point. Do you want to leave us with a couple of thoughts about how to be a good guest? I love this question. I think guests have an extraordinary amount of power in every gathering. Uh, This book and this work is not called The Art of Hosting. It's called The Art of Gathering, in part because there are more guests at every gathering than hosts. And most of us are guests much more often than we're hosts. That's true for me. Mm-hmm. And as you're, you know, entering into whether the holiday season or any other time, what do you actually want to attend? What gatherings give you energy? Mm. And this could be at work. This can be in your community life. Who do you miss? What do you want to say no to? How many times a week do you want to, what's the rhythm of your or your partner's or your family's life that you actually want to go to? Mm-hmm. And then to really choose, decide, intentionally guest, not just intentionally host, given what you want to attend, to then have send a decisive yes. Yes, I'd love to come. What can I bring? Or a connected and meaningful no. Hmm. I'm so sorry. We are staying close to home this season. We've just, we need to spend a little bit more time in our, with our kids in the evening. Uh, would love to see you soon. And ambivalence and flakiness are not good for anybody. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when you show up, you can help the gathering find its purpose, that you can connect people. And as an example, Priya shared a story about her dad Ron's retirement party from his government job. At lunch, the energy was kind of flagging, so her stepmother sort of semi-awkwardly introduced herself and said, I know about home Ron, but I don't know work Ron. I'd love to hear about him. Would you tell me what this guy's like at the office? It was a bold move, but it actually turned the party around, opening the door for really personal, meaningful anecdotes that left Ron visibly touched. And she found this really lovely structure to kind of give a little bit more meaning to the night, to land its purpose. It wasn't distracting, Mm. right? But how do we as guests begin to observe, to choose what we want to attend, Mm. and then practice the art of guesting? and meaning-making, and deciding at the most powerful level, which is what this entire conversation is about, which is how do we want to spend our time and with whom? That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Priya and Morgan. We are very grateful for your joining us for this little mini gathering. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. Morgan, I'm so excited for you. (laughs) I'm excited too. Thank you. You have to report back. Yes. Yes. I'll DM you my invite. Yes. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> Are you, like Morgan, trying to find a way to build community in your own way? 
put us on the invite list or at least let us know how it goes. We do want to hear what works and what doesn't work. And let us know which of Priya's advice you found most helpful. If you want to learn more, definitely check out Priya's book, The Art of Gathering, which I highly recommend. And her website has a toolkit and a bunch of useful information. We'll put a link in the show notes. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. I thought it was really fun. Amanda, thanks for hosting us so well. I mean, it was a lot of pressure. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, crap. I can't bust this up. How about you? Do you have a party that's not popping? A hootenanny that's not hollering? Or, you know, some other problem we should tackle? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we'd love to have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. Or even better, buy that friend a gift subscription to Slate Plus, where you can hear this podcast and all the other Slate podcasts totally free of ads. Check it out at slate.com slash howtoplus. Howto's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created this show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.